The music was marvelous. Just marvelous. Thank you very much for that. 20 years. 20 years of a lot of work. 20 years of a lot of tears. 20 years of doing something great in the kingdom of God. 160 prayer partners praying. People say, what's the best thing that ever happened at Royal Family? I always say it's God's people that pray for the children that are unseen in our community. The best thing that can happen are prayers of faith for children. Pastor, I have something that I have to give to you on behalf of the church. For 20 years, I go around the country and this is what I do. And at Royal Family Kids honors Houghton Wesleyan Church for 20 years of ministry to children of abuse, abandonment, and neglect through Royal Family Kids. This church has modeled the mandate of James 127 to care for orphans in distress. You have bound up the brokenhearted and you've carried them in your arms. Be encouraged to continue his good works, to extend his hand of blessing in your community to the least of these in the kingdom. God bless you. Thank you very much, church. Thank you. This is an incredible church, and I'm so glad that my childhood friend, John, has spent the 20 years... As Zach said, as he came to our training in California, he said, I can see the fingerprints of John in all of this training. And what this church has done is afforded me an opportunity to work with a friend. And we have expanded this ministry to 200 camps. We have 10,500 adult volunteers who work with children in the Cathedral of the Outdoors. We have 6% of all the children in foster care between the ages of 6 and 12 attending a camp somewhere in the United States. We're thrilled with that, and you're part of that. Your church has trained over 24 camps that are doing exactly what you're doing in other states and in other countries of of, of the world. Uh, I look at that. And it always happens because God speaks to someone. Someone says, I'll do it. And then everybody begins to rally around. And before long, you have a family. A family that ministers together. I saw those pictures of Love Buffalo and I could not help myself. But I say this all the time. I go fishing with some of my friends. I go hunting with some of my friends. I love lunch with some of my friends. But when you minister for a week with your friends, there's no greater feeling than to feel as though you're giving in Christ's name. So, John, thank you for 20 years of service and what that has meant in this community. I just wish you Godspeed. I had a little boy come up to me It was in the state of Michigan. He comes running up to me and he goes, Pastor Tesh, me and Jesus, we've got a lot in common. Now, I've been in ministry for a long time and I never heard a little boy say, 
me and Jesus have a lot in common. And I said, really? Tell me, what's that? He said, we both have foster dads by the name of Joseph. (laughs) That got me to thinking. I come from a traditional family. My mom and dad were married 53 years. My wife's parents were married for 62 years. Diane and I, we've been married for 94 years, 47 for her and 47 for me. And um, we were just, I grew up in a family, so I never really looked at that perspective before. I went to Cudahy, Wisconsin, and there was a Catholic church, and it was a Protestant church that bought the diocese, and there was lovely glass-stained windows, stained glass windows. And the first one on the left-hand side when you walked in the back door showed a picture of Joseph. And it said, Joseph, foster father of Jesus. Got me thinking. How many heroes of the faith grew up in homes other than traditional homes? And I realized that Moses, as you go through Scripture, he was the first recorded adoption in Exodus. And that is where, think about this, an Arab adopted a Jewish boy. That is kind of crazy, isn't it, in today's world? And then you look at Hannah bringing Samuel and 1 Samuel to Eli. And Eli was, even though he was the priest of the temple, his family was pathetic. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that were the teen rebels of the community. They had a side business where they would sell the meat from the altar to people. They were just corrupt. But yet, in God's wisdom, he places Samuel into that chaotic family. And once a year, mom would come, only like a Jewish mom could probably do, and say, oh, Samuel, my son, here's the robe I worked all year to build, uh, make for you. And someday, someday you're going to be a great prophet. I know it, I can see it. Comes back the next year, oh, Samuel, here's a robe that I've made. And someday, Samuel, you're going to be a great prophet. And can you imagine what Hophni and Phinehas, all the cutting and uh, put down experiences that Samuel had to go through, but yet God did something great there. I think of Meshibabeth, who was born crippled, a son of Saul. And when David took over, he wanted Meshibabeth to come into the kingdom, into his kingdom. And he steins and sits at the table of David. Meshibabeth probably thought he was going to be killed because that, that's what usually would happen. But David extended grace. And Meshibabeth grew up in a palace. I think of Timothy, who was raised by a grandma, <laughs> Grandma Lois, and his mother Eunice, without a dad. But Paul saw something in him, and something great happened. And that was the family of God. None of them were involved in a great family. Supposedly, but God did something incredible during those moments. That got me thinking, what am I supposed to be doing? 
And I said, maybe I need to bring people to Jesus. Bring them to this family. Let them experience what God's love is all about. In the cathedral of the outdoors, surrounded by people who have hope and healing that they can share with children and their lives can be transformed. I said, man, I can do that. So this is the scripture. Imagine with me now. You've got to imagine. You've got to think this through now because we're going to go through this. And there's a lot of things we're going to be talking about just in telling the story. But imagine with me. A knock at the door. Four men are outside and there's a voice that comes within that says, come on in. The four men open, their, open the door and they walk in and they say, guess what, friend? Jesus is in town. And when Jesus is in town, great things begin to happen. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, and yes, the lame can walk, and we're taking you to Jesus. So they picked him up on a stretcher, and they begin to walk down those narrow streets of Capernaum, and they come to the house that is packed because Jesus is speaking there, and they come to a dead end. They say, now what are we going to do? This isn't in Scripture, but... Uh, they're probably saying, now what are we going to do? And they put them down, and they probably have a little holy huddle, and they say, and one of them comes up with this great idea. Why don't we take them up on the roof? And we put them up on the roof, okay, and they come and they announce their friend, guess what? We're taking you up to the roof. This isn't in scripture either, but you've got to imagine with me. So they pick them up. And it's like a, it's like a E-ride, you know, it, Can you imagine him walking up the stairs with the stretcher? The poor guy, it's a white-knuckle ride. He's just hanging on for dear life, wondering if he is ever going to make it. What are my friends doing for me? And they get up on the roof, and they say, put him down. They probably have another little holy huddle. And one of them comes up with the idea and says, you know what? What we're going to do, we're going to dig a hole in the roof. Now... They come back and they say, guess what, don't worry. We're going to dig a hole in the roof. And um, pretty soon they begin to dig a hole in the roof. Pretty soon dust begins to fall on Jesus' head. Just like snow back here. Pretty soon some great big dirt clogs begin to fall. And Jesus being Jesus, he always moves because he's not going to get hit by the big ones. (laughs) He knows what's going on. The Jesus I serve, he knows everything. He knows when the big ones are coming and he just moves. I can see him. And people are just astounded as they're seeing hands coming through the roof. And they often, they, you know, they're probably saying, man, what's going on? Now, pastor, I've often wondered about this. How big of a hole do you make in a roof to let the parallel come down? Do you let them come down vertically? <laughs> Do you let him down horizontally? They could have just dropped him. He was going to be healed anyways, but they didn't know that at the time. They didn't know that at the time. That wasn't part. That wasn't part of what was happening. All of a sudden, they begin to lower the man on the mat. And he comes down in front of Jesus. And when you come in front of Jesus, great things begin to happen. 
All of a sudden, he's saying, wow, when you're in the presence of Jesus, your soul is lifted. When you're in the presence of Jesus, you, you have hope and you have a purpose. And he just realizes this is going to be the day. This is going to be the hour. This is going to be the moment when I am going to be able to walk again. And Jesus, being Jesus, he looks at him and he said, friend, I say unto you, arise. Arise from your past. Arise from your pain. Arise from a mind that has you so paralyzed that you cannot comprehend or understand the goodness that God has. Arise. I've often wondered, I've often wondered, what those men over there just thinking, what is going on? And Jesus takes care of first things first. And all of a sudden, I've often said to myself, what would happen if I was up on the roof and I was looking down and I saw my dear friend stand up? What would you do? I know what I would do. Jump through the hole in the roof. (laughs) I'd go up to my friend and just hug him. Just really hug him. Then I go up to Jesus and I give him a high five. <laughs> Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And what I think is interesting is that it was so packed with people they could not come in. All of a sudden, it opened up as he picked up his stretcher. And he probably had a little New York strut as he went on home. And I've often wondered, this isn't in scripture either, Pastor, but I've often wondered, because I'm a camp guy, you keep things clean, I've often wondered, who fixed the hole in the roof? (laughs) I imagine the next day, there is a knock at the door. Instead of a voice saying, come on in, there is a man that went to the door and opened it. Instead of four men walking down those dusty streets of Capernaum, there's now five. And instead of four men carrying a stretcher, there are now five men and they're carrying their toolkits. And instead of four men walking up those steps, there's five men that ascend those stairs. And there they take with fresh mud and palm fronds. And I imagine the man that was healed by Jesus took his finger and wrote in that fresh mud, I came through the roof, was healed by Jesus, signed his name and put the date, and someday some archaeologists just may find it. (laughs) Folks, there are over two million reported cases of child abuse in America today. 85% of the children who are involved in sex trafficking in our nation come from the foster care system. One out of every three men, one out of every four, one out of every three women, one out of every four to six men have come from a background of abuse, and we are lying on the stretcher. And the only thing that we can do is take them to Jesus. Because when we take them to Jesus, great things begin to happen.
Their mind is renewed. Their heart is restored. They're able to see things differently. The scales fall off their eyes as they begin to understand what this dimension of compassion and love is about and why we choose Jesus rather than what the world has to offer. Something great happens when we're able to bring people to Jesus. And that little child is right there. For the last 25, 30 years, Diane and I have been doing just that. Trying to bring as many people to Jesus as we can. We don't do it ourselves. We enlist other stretcher bearers. Men and women like yourself. Who can carry people, children in prayer. Children who have a difficult time in life. Who in Psalm 40 describes them, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the mud, out of the mire. He set my feet upon a rock. He established my goings and he put within my heart a new song. One week at camp, a new song gives birth in children's hearts. And you've been doing this for 20 years. You've been carrying children to Jesus. And how you do it, in the love and how you communicate. As one little boy said to me, he's now in his 30s. He said, when I was a little boy, I went to this one camp. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't understand what was taking place. But I knew that I just loved it because I saw genuine love and smiles and laughter with the adults. I had never seen that ever before. And he said, I wanted, I wanted that in my life. That was a picture that was snapped in my mind. And I said, someday when I'm an adult, whatever they have, I'm going to have. He said, I'm now 35. I've been married. I have my first child. It's a girl. It's the first child that is born to my family in three generations that will not be involved with drugs from from the womb. He said, the smiles on adults' faces gave me hope. And that's what you do. You carry people to Jesus. Yes, when you play with them in the pool, when you sit down as one little boy um, said, I like to pray for my meals now. Foster parents said to me, said, I just want you to know I'm not much of a Christian. I didn't understand what was going on. And this kid came home and he said, I'd like to pray for the meal now. And he started to pray. She said, I know it's a fad. It won't last long. Said three months later, he's still praying for his meals. And um, it's real to him. And I said, I think I need to go where he found hope. And that's why I'm here at church today. I just happened to be at that church that Sunday.
It's amazing what God does. And you, if you haven't seen a miracle, as they say, go to a week of camp and you'll experience miracle after miracle after miracle. It is just so exciting to be a part of. I just, from the bottom of my heart, say thank you. Thank you for taking care of children who have been thrown up against walls and locked in closets. Children who hide under their beds in fear and whose nightmares are real. Children who have been beaten with two-by-fours, whipped with bicycle chains, burned with cigarette butts, whose nightmares are real. Thank you for giving. Thank you for caring. Thank you for being a stretcher bearer. Father, what a joy it is to be able to just say thank you to your people who understand what it is to make a difference in the world in which they live by taking a week of their vacations and give it so unselfishly to the least of these, to the children of our world. Father, I pray that the seeds that have been planted in children, they'll grow in good soil. And Lord, I pray that what you do with the adults who have come and who have given, that you'll encourage their lives, lift their spirits, let them see what you see as the church of Jesus Christ becomes a stretcher bearer. Because we all know, Lord, that someday we too will be on that stretcher. Whether it's through death, divorce, discouragement, drugs, disability, we too will be lying on that stretcher. And we'll need to have the community of faith take us to Jesus. So, Father, thank you for the community of faith and the DNA of this church of compassion and love and making a difference in the world in which we live. May you continue to bless them, to be a blessing in all their endeavors. In Christ's name, we say, amen.